It's a privilege again to be with you and to have the opportunity to open the Word of God together to Hebrews chapter 11, this amazing chapter we've been working through these last several weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm thanking God today that I have had the opportunity to, to be a part of this and to dig into it and to see the things that God has to show us here. Hebrews 11, uh, we're going to focus on verse 7, but uh, we'll read from verse 1 just to get a sense of the, the larger context. Chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, by faith. Uh, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, uh, it, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Lord, we thank you for your word. This is one of the many things for which we are thankful today. And we thank you for these examples from the history of uh, humankind, the history of your people. And we look to these examples, in particular this example from Noah today. And we ask that even though this story reflects uh, ancient history, that it might actually be helpful to us as we think about the lives we live today. Lord, help me to speak well and clearly. Lord, help us all to understand each other today. Lord, we pray that, that your spirit would come and, and make powerful the words that are spoken uh, such that we might understand them and appreciate what it is that you're saying to us. And we would then ask that you would give us the courage to respond. So speak, Lord. All of us together in your presence, we are listening for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, about a week ago, I was invited to... Uh, prepare a, a lecture on the future 
of theological education. Now I understand that might not inspire you very much. I mean, that might not be your world or something you're interested in, but it's, it's something that, that I have to pay attention to as a leader in the world of theological education. And so I was asked to, to bring this keynote address on the future. Well, that's a daunting task, right? Like, like how do we understand what's going to happen based on our experience of what has already happened? Well, I did my best, you know, I, I uh, put together some thoughts, used my imagination, extrapolated from our experience that, that we had, tried to understand what other experts were saying and to put this thing together. But I, I gotta tell you, I, uh, I'm not super confident in what I had to say. I mean, I, the ideas are probably all right, you know, uh, but do I expect people to put a lot of confidence in my uh, vision or understanding of the future? I mean, I'm not a, a prophet in that sense. I'm not uh, one who has special mystical capability to see into the future, to know what will be. <laughs> I do my best, right? I mean, we all do, right? We all try to understand what's coming when we go to uh, negotiate our mortgage rates, for example. It, are things going up or things going down? You know, do we do we make a long-term bet here on the mar on the real estate market? What do, what do we do? We don't really know. <laughs> no. I mean, sometimes we go into the supermarket. You've probably seen. I'm not sure I've seen this recently, but but I remember, you know, when you go to the checkout counter at certain times of year, especially you know around New Year's time, and you'll see like the National Enquirer, and it'll say Nostradamus prophecies for 2019 or something like that. And I'm sure it's entertaining, but does anybody actually hold these guys accountable? Does anybody keep those, those issues and then go back several months later and try to figure out whether they were right or not? <laughs> no. I mean, we have more respectable uh, prophets, you might say, uh, uh, futurists and people who write articles and books about the future trying to uh, help us make good decisions about business and about life uh, based on what we think the trends are and, you know, like, like, in 15 years when the millennials are ruling the earth, you know, what's that gonna be like? Because it would be helpful to know the future. It would be helpful, but uh, it's difficult because we don't really know what's coming. All of the different factors and variables, we know what has happened. We know what, to some degree, what is happening, but to know what will happen is a very difficult thing. Uh, this text is talking to us about understanding the unseen, <laughs> the future, to know what it is that God is doing by faith, placing confidence in, in that thing that is not yet made visible for us. Well, this is a, this is a challenging thing. Uh, this is taking us beyond the world of the present and the merely physical to what Aristotle called the metaphysical. You know, this, this world that, that lies beyond the, the things that we can measure or count or the things that move upon the earth in the moment, but to understand something bigger and broader. And in the church, we ought to be fairly comfortable with this sort of thing. 
I mean, in business or in the, the school system or in work, various kinds of work, uh, we, we try to be more scientific about things. We try to quantify things more accurately. But here, we actually believe that there's something bigger going on. There's something greater. There's something out there that we can't see with our eyes. We can't touch with our hands, but we know it to be true by faith. Faith makes the unseen visible. It makes the unseen visible. Verse 1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then continuing, as we've seen, continuing through the chapter, we have all of these examples from history. And the one we're looking at particularly today is this example of Noah, a pretty well-known story, actually. And we tell it to our children. We, uh, it, it, it's known in the, the general culture out there, this, this story about a man who stood up to the culture in obedience to God and built an ark, this great ship to uh, be able to uh, rescue creation from the judgment of God, the flood that he sent. Well, this was an act of faith, the text tells us. Verse 7, by faith, Noah went warned about things not yet seen. Notice that word, yet. <laughs> not yet seen. The, the, the idea is that we will one day see, but at this point, uh, Noah was not able to see what was to come. When warned about these things by God, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family, and by his faith, he condemned the world, became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So there's a, a few simple things just to observe from how this verse is described and put together. Uh, there's, there's a set of circumstances, there's some action, and then there's some consequences. Pretty simple. Circumstances, action, consequence. Uh, that's how life works. So the circumstances were that, uh, that things, things were rough. It was, a, it was a bad time on the earth. Uh, Genesis 6 suggests that uh, the, the, a certain version uses a, a very challenging uh, verbal construction. Every in, inclination of the people was for evil all the time. Every inclination of the people of the earth was for evil all the time. This was the situation into which Noah found himself. And God was set to take action. So God warns Noah about this situation. Uh, he tells him what is about to happen. Not what was happening, but what was about to happen. This great catastrophic act of judgment, this flood that would sweep the earth. He was warned about these things. So he took the action that God required of him. In holy fear, he built an ark, which was this gigantic vessel, uh, 
hundreds and hundreds of cubits long. A cubit is, is about, supposed to be about 20 inches, the distance from an elbow to the tip of the fingers, and uh, hundreds of cubits in order to uh, preserve his family and also the animals of the, the world. And so he built this ark, and it says that in so doing, he condemned the world. Well, we understand that it is God who is judging the world, but Noah was acting in, cons- in consistent faith with this, this action of God. And the world was condemned, judged, and, uh, and in so doing, Noah and his family became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. What we're talking about here is a a really significant and uh, courageous, difficult action that this man took in keeping with the promise of God, in this case, both a negative promise and and a positive promise, negative regarding judgment and promise regarding righteousness, in keeping with this warning from God, this man did something remarkable, something incredible. It was, it was an act of obedience. I mean, nobody just comes up with this kind of idea on their own. Ah, yeah, like, like things are a little rough out here. I, I think maybe we should build an ark. <laughs> Imagine saying that to your husband and your wife one morning. <laughs> no. no, Noah wouldn't have, have conceived of this himself. Because nobody would. Certainly nobody would take this kind of action. He, he took this action because he heard the voice of God and he understood his need to be responsive to that word. It was obedience. It was also worship. The text says that uh, this was done out of holy or reverent fear. Now, when you read the word fear in the Bible, it it often has these two kinds of meanings to it. Uh, We often think about fear in in a very negative sense, uh, you know, a, a sense of consequence. So we fear the consequences of some action or other. You know, we're afraid that something might happen that is negative to us. That's how we typically understand the word fear. It's a, it's a consequential fear. It's the, the fear of the consequences. And certainly this was true in this text, in this story. Noah was afraid for his life and for that of his family. So there was that, that normal kind of ex- understanding of the word fear. He was afraid of the situation, of the consequences of this great flood And so he took action in order to protect himself and his family. It's that kind of fear. But there's another kind of fear evident as well in this text. It calls it reverent fear, holy fear. And this is a more positive form of fear. This is a fear that is about understanding and appreciating the nature of the God we serve. And appreciating that when he speaks, he demands our respect our reverence, our obedience, our, our, uh, our response. And so Noah, having heard from God, was not just trying to save his skin. 
was not just trying to preserve his family. He was also trying to honor the God who asked him to do something. There's a sense of reverence in this spirit. It was worshipful. It was obedient. It was worshipful. It was also courageous. I mean, it's hard work. There's a ridiculous amount of work involved in building this thing. And it took years. And through those years, you can just imagine the kind of uh, interaction you have with people. You know, who walked along and noticed the building site, you know, and were trying to figure out what was going on. And I'm sure Noah used that opportunity to, to warn the people, just as he had been warned. I mean, it's a big boat. He could have taken more, you know, onto the boat. He could have welcomed others. But the people whose inclination was only evil all the time. They just, just laughed at him, scoffed at him, mocked at him. And you can imagine the courage it would require to continue in this task simply because he had heard from God. God told him to do this thing, and so he was going to do this thing. No matter what the consequences, no matter how other people were going to look at him, no matter how they called him a fool or thought him uh, silly or or stupid, he went ahead and he obeyed God. It's impressive. So those, those things that we've just described, his obedience, his uh, sense of worship, his sense of courage, uh, th- these things are all a part of what it means to have faith. Right? And I want you to notice, it's pretty tangible. Right? Like, like we come into a place like this and we... Uh, we use words like faith. I mean, it's part of the language that you use in church, right? Faith, it's a churchy word. <laughs> and, we, and we think that we come into church and we talk about faith and it just means this, well, sometimes I'm not sure we know what it means. Is it, is it, just, is it a feeling? <laughs> you know? Is it uh, sort of like a posture, you know, like where we sit and, you know, like, you, like most of you are doing now, you know, very, looking quite respectful, uh, <laughs> You know, is it, is it just like a way of being that we sort of put on when we walk into the building here? Um, what is, I mean, what is it? Well, it might be some of those things, but, but by this text, what we're learning is faith is super tangible. Like it's physical. It was hard work, consequential work. It, it, it required huge confidence in in the fact that he had heard from God and was willing then to do the things that God asked him to do at great cost to his reputation on earth, you know, to his uh, natural well-being. I mean, think about what this cost, right? I don't know where he got his money, <laughs> but, but this sort of thing doesn't happen for free, right? And all the time, people calling him foolish, well, was this because Noah had an absolute ironclad appreciation for the future? Like, was he one of these guys who just had this special kind of magical ability to see the future? Because if that was true, I mean, like if I knew, if you knew that 
tomorrow morning, a great flood, was, like a tsunami was going to hit and come and break over the, you know, the city here. I mean, we might take action, right? Like, if we knew that with absolute confidence, there's probably some steps we'd take, some things we'd do. Was that the nature of Noah's knowledge? That, that, well, no. He knew what God told him. And he believed it. And so he took action. He had faith. Last week, when uh, we were working with uh, Pastor Wes, uh, he was look- we were looking together at verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's, that's huge, by the way. Mm. You know, if you want to please God, you have to act in faith. Right? And without that, it's impossible to please God. So we know that. Uh, And anyone who comes to him must believe two things. Believe that God exists and believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Well, you're not going to build an ark unless you believe those two things. Noah believed that God exists, so so he, he wasn't just hearing voices here. It wasn't just some impulse. He believed what God was telling him and that he had heard that God existed and that God was going to be good to him. We sang about that earlier, the goodness of God, the nature of God as essentially good. Now, that's a bit challenging given the nature of these events here, but we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Noah believed God to be good and that he would reward Noah and his family for being faithful. And so they took action. That's the nature of the faith we're talking about. Now, as I just alluded to, this is difficult for us in the year 2018. I mean, there's a lot, we just need to acknowledge, there's just a lot of things in this passage that are hard for us to credit, you know. So because of some of the technical difficulties, especially when we go back to Genesis 6 and read some of the details, because of the technical difficulties around this, we don't look too closely, right? We, we, we tell this story to our children uh, almost as if it's like a fable or, or, or something like that. We, we, uh, <laughs> we have goofy songs about Noah. And some of you old enough to remember Noah built an arky arky. <laughs> like we, we make it. You remember that? <laughs> we used to sing that. Uh, we, we, we do that, I think, out of uh, almost a, a, a sense of trying to protect ourselves from some of the uncomfortable aspects of this passage. Like the idea of a global deluge, I mean, do we have evidence of this? I mean, this is hard, right? This is hard to believe. that The, the concept of a mass extinction, it seems a bit excessive. You know, um, even the zoology here, uh, you know, like, like uh, what, what are we talking about here? I, I think two of every, are we talking about kinds, you know, or like was there like one set of dogs or was like, like every version, like a Cocker Spaniel and a German Shepherd and a, like what about entomology, you know, like, <laughs> like did we have every kind? What about all the, the, the animals that didn't need to be on a boat to survive, you know, that, that could fly or, or, or stuff? I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that is just difficult. And, you know, I'm not sure about a lot of that, to tell you the truth. 
I mean, some people would try, will try to suggest that this story is given in the nature, uh, like, kind of like what Jesus often did with par- parables, you know. So it was, it was offered in a kind of a um, metaphorical sense almost, or, or, or uh, described as a story by which we are supposed to understand truth. And, and I'll give these folks credit. They, they do believe in the truth of the text in terms of what it's saying about God and our accountability to him, but maybe they're not so sure about the details. Well, okay. I, I actually don't have a great deal of difficulty believing the details here uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, you know, if you're talking about floods and deluges and things like that, I, I mean, you know, if, these things are possible, right? Uh, and there are certain pieces of evidence that are interesting in that regard. I mean, I'm not a, 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 a scientist in that way. I'm not, I'm not an archaeologist. I don't, you know, have the details on that. I, I read certain things, and they sound interesting. I read a, a piece that was uh, uh, published by ABC News uh, recently about a man named... Um, Robert Ballard, I think his name is, he's a, a, a marine archaeologist. He's the guy who, with his team, went down and discovered the Titanic. And so he's now, with his team, down in the Black Sea. And he's down, way down deep, and found evidence of a, uh, like, like, you know, buried, buried deep down of a uh, farmland and a, and a sort of a shoreline that uh, would have, is a completely different character than what is present today, and he believes there's evidence of a catastrophic flood, like, like, like an overnight kind of catastrophic deluge. Well, that's encouraging if you're looking for that kind of evidence. There, there are people who, uh, you know, have combed uh, various aspects or parts of Mount Ararat and claim to have found evidence of an ark. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I'm encouraged by that. I don't know how accurate these things are or how... The thing is, my faith isn't built on the requirement to have actual evidence, like, like a piece of an ark, like, like a piece of petrified wood from 5,000 years ago. I, I don't require that evidence to have faith in, the, uh, in a story like this. But it's encouraging. <laughs> you know, it's helpful. I don't have a great deal of difficulty with this. I mean, we think about... Uh, uh, climate change, you know, and the possibility of some great dramatic change in our uh, climate situation going forward. Well, people don't seem to have any trouble believing that. So uh, why is it so difficult to believe in some great uh, physical deluge in the past? I, I'm not trying to make any great point here other than to say that these things are possible. And certainly, if we believe in a God who is active in the world, a God who can create the world, a God who, who continues to care about the world, some of these things are not uh, beyond our capacity to understand and appreciate. What I find more difficult is when we start thinking about the nature of God as a good God, and we think about this kind of extinction of uh, humanity save Noah and his family. It seems harsh. I think most people would say, how can loving God uh, sponsor this sort of thing? And uh, I, I think there's a couple of things that could be said to this. I mean, one is the, the uh, comment that's already made, that, that uh, 
these people, the, the, the state of the world at that time was deeply evil. Deeply. Every inclination of the people were evil all the time. We read in Genesis 6. So, as people who, who believe the gospel, people, who, Christian people who have come in faith to this place week after week, one of the things we believe is that humanity is accountable to their creator. We believe that. We believe that God will judge the living and the dead. We believe that. It's written all over the, the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. That we are accountable to a holy God for our sin. And so uh, we, our expectation is that God is going to come and there will be a judgment to which uh, we will all be answerable. And this is all we're talking about here in this text. God holding the people answerable for their sin and their unrighteousness. It's hard. It's difficult to read when you really think about it. When you get it past just the little, you know, children's stories and the, you know, my, my grandson was playing the other day with this Noah's Ark puzzle. And it was very pretty and had all the little animals and it was kind of cute. That's fine. But when you look more closely at a story like this, it's, it's hard. And it should be. Because we are talking about the holiness and righteousness of God to which we are accountable. And these folks, I mean, they're, they're people like you and I, but they made choices as we make choices and as we are accountable. But the great thing is, the, the hopeful thing, the helpful thing, here is that there is more to our faith than just this story. Uh, novelists, writers uh, will talk about a narrative arc. You know? and, and, and the concept is that when you're we're telling a story, you, you create this arc, this grand sweeping narrative, this story that has a beginning and, and a difficult part and a, and a climax and a conclusion and all this sort of thing. But this story, the, I, I heard a writer talking about this this week. A story has to go somewhere. Yeah. A story has to drive to some purpose or meaning. So what we're talking about is a grand story in scripture, a, the, the great arc of history, salvation history. We're talking about not just an ark with a K at the end, but an ark with a C. And this is the ark of what God has been doing across history to reconcile his creation to himself by means of his son. Second mm -hmm. Peter 2, verse 5, Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. Now, I don't know that he ever stood on a platform like this. He may have. I, I, we are not told that. I, I don't know about that. What I do know is he got up every day and he built an ark. And by so doing, 
He preached righteousness. He preached a warning. He preached the truth of God's holiness. He preached the consequence of God's judgment. And he preached the hope of salvation. The same hope that we offer. Now, he did not know the name Jesus. But that's where it was going. That's what this is all about. And today, we read this story, not in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. The Testament of Christ, who has come to bring righteousness and salvation by the grace and mercy of God, first pictured all those years ago in that wooden boat on the sea. Wow. It's pretty awesome. And I'm, and I'm thank, you, you, Thanksgiving Sunday, we're thankful for that. Amen? So how do we go about ark building today? What does our faith look like in this time? Well, I thought of a number of things. I mean, for one thing, uh, for us today to, to have this kind of faith would be like Noah, to, to have the courage to respond in obedience and worship and courage to whatever it is that God is asking us to do. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we study the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks by his word, and, and we, you know, God calls us to things. Will we have the courage to do them? Well, it's hard. Of course it is. Well, people won't understand. Of course they won't. But will we do it? Will we be the people that God has called us to, whatever that means, whatever that looks like? Will we have that kind of courage or will we be crippled by our concern about what others will say, how they'll think about us and mock us? That's one thing. What does it look like to build an ark today? Well, in some ways, this church is an ark. When you think about it, 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 it's wooden, it kind of, if you turned it upside down, it would kind of look like one, wouldn't you think? <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> I don't know how many animals we could fit in here, but. <laughs> but you think about it, it's a world under judgment. A world where maybe not every inclination is always evil all the time, but. An awful lot of what goes on out there is not particularly healthy. And we've built this, this church, this ark, this place of refuge, this place that offers salvation with respect to the judgment of God, which is coming, we believe. But this is a place of hope, a place of healing, a place of encouragement. It's an ark. We're not just Noah's family, but the family of God can come and find salvation. So we keep building. 
building the ark, <laughs> the church. Another thing I thought of is that as we await salvation, the ultimate salvation, we, we ought to be careful to preserve creation. And this might not be a primary implication of the text, but I think it's significant that God found a way to preserve the animals. Now, myself, I'm not really... This is, this is a flaw in me, okay? <laughs> you need to understand that. I'm not really an animal kind of guy. Like, like, when I was little, my parents bought a dog for us because I was so afraid of dogs, they thought it might help me. <laughs> and, and so, uh, there's this little Pekingese, a yappy little thing. Uh, we, we, I learned not to be afraid of my dog. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> But to this day, you know, like this morning I was walking and, and this guy came with this mangy looking German shepherd and I'm like, <laughs> like I'm not, I, 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 I appreciate animals. I think they're beautiful. I think they're amazing. I think they're awesome. I just struggle with them. <laughs> Horses, they scare me, terrify me. <laughs> But I believe that God did something amazing there. (laughs) Like he just didn't give us a world. He gave us a beautiful world, a complex world, a a world full of creatures and like vegetation and beauty and abundance. And even in this act of terrible judgment against humankind. God took care to preserve creation. And so one of the things that suggests to me is today as we, you know, think forward, as we try to, by faith, make the future visible, see, make the unseen visible. (laughs) One of the things we do is we preserve the creation that he's given us to care for. You know, I am. Um, I think about my life and where it's led and how it's come. And I, I don't know about you, but I think about this quite often. Like, like, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, to this exact spot. Like, like thirty years ago, how much of if I was to have predicted the life I'm living right now, like in detail, how much of it would I have got right? <laughs> you know? I mean, some of it. I, I, I probably was hopeful that I'd have a family. You know, and I have. You know, I, I, there's things like that. I, I probably thought I'd, I'd probably be still living in the lower mainland somewhere because it's the place I love, and I am. So, you know, there's certain things that I might have predicted and, and, uh, and, and they've come true, but the details, you know, the, the specifics, there's, I wouldn't have got much right. I, there's so many things I experience, you know, week to week that, that I just, I'm just amazed by. I'm not much of a prophet in that sense. But one thing I can tell you is that the God I loved 30, 40, 50 years ago is the same God I love today. 
And the God that made promises to me back then has been faithful to those promises to this day. And the God who will hold me in his hand a year from now, 10 years from now, however long, you know, until he comes again, is the same God who has held me all those years and will continue to sustain me by his grace and his mercy. I can see the future by faith because I know the God who has loved me and who has been good to me. That much is visible and that much is enough. Scroll ahead to the very end of the Bible. And what do you see? I I remember uh, thinking that, (laughs) you know, somehow everything in in the world is all going to burn up and just like like not to put much interest in the things of this earth because it's all going to be destroyed. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes because he's a good God. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Do you have enough faith to see that? There's an arc to this thing, a trajectory. It's called the kingdom of God, and it's coming on earth as it is in heaven. And by faith, we can see it today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this confidence which you have built into us through Uh, through the years of experience with you and with your spirit, with your word. We thank you for these things, Lord. We thank you that, that while we are accountable, while we, we stand under the, um, under judgment, we appreciate that we have been forgiven by your grace. And that our future is not one of destruction or despair, but our future is one of hope and glory in your presence forever. Lord, we, we, we cannot do the math on this. The, the, the science is awkward. The, uh, the archaeology. And that's okay, Lord, because... We come to you by faith, confident in what has been promised beyond what can be seen in the present moment.
So Lord, for those among us who are experiencing pain today, by faith, Lord, we realize that one day there will be healing. For those of us here today that are experiencing fear, Lord, we put our faith in you today in the knowledge that there will be hope. Lord, for those of us that are struggling today with our inclination to sin, to evil, to do things that are harmful to others and to ourselves and to your own glory, we come to you in faith today knowing that there is salvation by your Son. And for all of this, on this day of thanksgiving, we express our gratitude, our hope, our thanks, and our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.